Well, good morning. Everybody's like, was that a rhetorical question? Uh, hi, Tom. Um, we are uh, taking a, a brief detour from the lectionary that we've been in for a number of weeks. Uh, as I told you last week, um, we are going to make some changes for the fall. And so that's the thrust of what I'm talking about today. Uh, as many of you know, I'm big surprise. If you're new here, we are still in the midst of a global pandemic. Okay, nobody's new. Everybody at home gets the joke. Um, but when, when the, the pandemic hit here in America, we, like most other churches, decided to lock everything down. Uh, and we, you know, we followed the, the guidance by so many experts in the medical field who were kind of studying this stuff. And, um, and so we moved everything to Zoom, right? Because, well, you know, we like community. We like to connect with one another. And if we can't do it in person, we at least want to see each other's face. Um, and so we moved everything to Zoom, and it was rough, but we did it. And it worked for like three months, and then May came along, and we began, began to open a little bit, and, and uh, organizations began to be allowed to meet. Uh, businesses were, were allowed to reopen, and every church had to weigh this uh, consideration about resuming in-person gatherings. Uh, and, and in reality, at that point, all of us became risk management personnel. And every one of you and your families are doing the same thing. How much risk am I willing to tolerate? Uh, and as we weighed that decision, we decided to meet outside. And this honestly has been a great blessing of God, right? Like this has been a pretty cool atmosphere for those of you at home. It's really cool here. It's really cool here. Um, so much so that the wind is blowing. Uh, but but what, the reason we decided to do this was because studies that had been done on the spread of the virus were, were fairly uh, conclusive that the spread outdoors, the risk is significantly reduced. So the fact that we're outdoors with wind and dispersing air and all that, any infection would be uh, the, the possibility of spread infection is significantly reduced. And if you're curious, I can point you to the studies. So for the summer, we've been able to do this. And this has been really cool. But uh, as we've gotten into August, a few things have become apparent. Number one, summer will end and it will get cold again. I know that some of you want to live in denial. It's so nice. Yes, that does happen in Pennsylvania. It does get cold. And if you look at historical averages, uh, for as far as temperatures, overnight lows will get into the 40s before the end of September. So if we track with historical averages, it's going to be mighty cold before September is over. And so what this means is that by the time we begin a gathering outdoors, by the latter half of September we're looking at temperatures in the 50s to sit out here. And I mean, I know you guys are sold out for Jesus and you would come if it was, you know, frostbite temperatures, but we don't really want to subject you to that. 
the second thing that that became um, the second thing that became kind of evident as we get into August is that the pandemic's not near an end. We're not talking about hey, just you know, one or two more weeks. You guys remember how naive we were in March? Hey, we're just we'll be closed for two weeks. That's how everybody thought, right? Like, oh, we'll just we'll lock in place for two weeks, and two weeks turned into a month, turned into two months, turned into three months, uh, and we're not exactly close to an end now. Uh, you know, I, the trends in Pennsylvania are better than they are everywhere else. Not everywhere else. Most other places. Uh, Pennsylvania has done a fairly good job mitigating the spread of the virus. But here locally, in the past two months, month and a half, two months, there's been a significant uptick in the instances of people with coronavirus. Uh, and, and so, likely, we're not looking at returning to any kind of what we would consider normal until there's a vaccine widely available. What this means is that if, it, it, when we move our gatherings indoors because of the inevitable cold temperatures, we bring with that move a whole host of added complications, right? All the ways that we want to mitigate risk that we've done by being outside, we now have to take into consideration. And you can read into that. What I mean is, it's a lot more work, a whole lot more work. Um, and the reality is, you know, no church wants to be the one that CNN calls to interview about the COVID outbreak in your church, right? I don't want to be that. You don't want to be that. That's not a phone call I ever want to get. Um, even though the likelihood for recovery is high. So even though people, uh, in, in, uh, even in, in Blair County, the recovery rate is significantly high. Like, I think we've still only had one death in Blair County as that's been attributed to, to coronavirus. With that said, you know, the way the media does with things, you all know, if there's, if we're the, the place where a whole bunch of people get it, doesn't bode well. And so on top of these considerations, we also have to consider a number of other realities. The first one is the governor has restricted indoor gatherings to 25 people for all industries except for churches. Now, I don't think it's because churches are inherently safer. I mean, when was the last time you went to McDonald's and hugged the clerk, right? It doesn't just, it just doesn't happen. It's not that we're inherently safer. It's the fact that no government official wants a lawsuit from a church. So we get this cut out and says, yeah, everybody else in the state has to have a max of 25 in a room, except for churches. We can put our head in the sand and pretend that we think we're safer, or we can say, there's probably a really good reason for that. Probably a really good reason for that. The second thing is that any indoor gathering requires a bunch of things, none the least of which are masks, which we've, you know, we provide and we've tried to, you know, where, where we get close to one another, we've tried to encourage people to wear them. The second thing is social distancing, so making sure that we can provide spaces where everybody's at least six feet apart. On top of that, thorough cleaning. How many of you are into thorough cleaning? Okay. So these are, this is just one more consideration. Another thing, 
there's a number of us who were comfortable meeting outside who come to this gathering because you're comfortable meeting outdoors. But when we took our survey before, you're not comfortable meeting indoors. So to the move indoors drives some folks from being willing to meet. Uh, there's some among us who are only comfortable meeting indoors with like a select group of people. You know, you've, you've got the, the handful of people who are, who are just as strict about how they, you know, care as you are. So there's some who are only comfortable meeting uh, with a select group of people. There are some among us who will not stop meeting no matter what. Some, I mean, you guys know who you are. I'm not going to point any fingers. Um, but like, it didn't matter. Quarantine, lockdown, doesn't matter. I'm meeting with people, right? There are some among us who uh, are not comfortable meeting with anybody at all, no matter what. Livestream church gets the motorcycle. Um, there's some of us that are just not comfortable meeting no matter what we do. And those are the folks, a lot of the folks that are watching at home. Uh, and, and there are some among us who take the be cautious at all approach it, at all costs. There are some among us who says we're not going to have a spirit of fear, right? There's all kinds of people that we're working with in this church. And these are just logistical considerations. Like, we haven't even started to scratch the surface on saying, well, what is it that we actually think we're doing when we get together on Sunday morning? And can we do that indoors with all these things? So, as I'm sure you can see, the, condition, the considerations mount for moving indoors. And so, we've thought about all these things. We sat down as a staff to think about a way forward, and we outlined all the things that we think we're trying to accomplish, like worshiping God. Uh, being in community, participating in communion together, being shaped. That's one of the things that happens in this gathering is that we sh you're being shaped uh, and, and, and doing, uh, opening the word and, and teaching the word, uh, prayer ministry, all the things. We outline all the things that we think this gathering does. And then our hope was to discern multiple ways we could accomplish those things indoors given all the things I just outlined. All those things. And my hope with the meeting was to come away with two or three viable options and then take them to small group leaders, team leaders, uh, and things like that. But something really awesome happened in the, in the course of that meeting. The staff didn't come up with two or three options. Well, we did have some options. I, like one like was Igloo Church. That's still, I just like the name Igloo Church. It sounds cool. Um, but we didn't come up with two or three options. We came up with one option that everybody around the table was really excited about. Uh, and the best part is it comes from Scripture. So it's not even like we're making something else up. And that is, wait, before I tell you what it is, uh, <laughs> turn your Bible with me to Luke 10. Hey, man, this is like one of the little joys I get with having a microphone. It's just trying to build some suspense. I'm never going to make a movie, but this is close. It's real close. A little bit of excitement. Luke 10, and leading up to this passage, so here's what's happened in Luke. Before we get to Luke 10, 
Jesus claims to be the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied, and he chooses for himself 12 disciples, and these disciples follow Jesus, and they watch him perform miracles, they watch him heal people and cast out demons and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so then we get to Luke 9, and there's a whole host of people following him, and Jesus sends out the 12 disciples that he selected and says, go out and do the ministry I've been doing. And then we get to Luke 10, or right before Luke 10, the 12 disciples come back and they say, you'll never believe it. It works even when we do it. The healing works. The casting out demons works. This is amazing in your name, Jesus. This all works. And that sets the stage for what happens in Luke 10. And I want to read beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near." I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So Jesus lays out the the plan for the 72, and it's the exact same plan that he gave to the 12. So if you turn to Luke 9, you don't have to, but if you turn to Luke 9, just one chapter before, he gives the exact same instructions to the 12. And here's what he says. He says, when you're going to go do this ministry, I want you to go and I want you to find a home where you are welcome, a house of peace. Find a house where your peace can rest. When you find this house, don't bounce around. Stay there. Make it your home base for ministry into a town. And from your home base, heal the sick and proclaim the gospel. So just like the 12 did, the chapter before, the 72 go out, they do exactly what Jesus says, and in verse 17, they return, and here's what, the, what Luke records. Verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is the model that Jesus advocates. Find a house of peace. Stay there. And from this hub, do ministry in a community. This is the biblical model. A house of peace is a house that is welcoming to the gospel and connects to a bunch of people. In the Bible, what you see is people who are people of peace or who have houses of peace are people who are well-connected to other people. So when they're receptive to the message of the gospel, it opens the gospel to a whole bunch of other people. So ingrained does this structure get into the, the, uh, this home-based model get that we find it all through Acts. 
as the church begins to spread and expand. Let me give you an example. Turn to Acts 16. Acts 16. Paul's on his missionary journey. He shows up uh, to this town of Philippi, which I forget who I was talking to recently. I was talking, I think it was you guys, about how the, the Philippian church started with women. This is the story of it. Beginning of verse 13, here's what it says. It says, From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. On the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she persuaded us. Paul finds this group of women that are hanging out by the, by the river, down in a van, down by the river. Thanks. Courtesy laugh. Uh, and he leads one of them, Lydia, to Christ. And she's this person of peace who has a house of peace. And so not only does Lydia come to Christ, but her whole household comes to Christ. And then they're all baptized. And what happens is they begin the, the, the Philippian church. Paul writes a letter to the church, the Philippian church. They begin the Philippian church in Lydia's house. Do you see what's happening? That the church starts in homes. So Paul sets up camp there. He, he begins to do ministry in the city. Of course, you guys know how Paul does, right? He just gets himself in trouble everywhere he goes. Uh, so he gets thrown in jail for casting a demon out of a girl. And while he's in jail, Paul leads the jailer to Christ and then the whole jailer's household to Christ. It's still the Philippian church. It's a different home. That the Philippian church meets in Lydia's home, and now it meets in the jailer's home. This, too, is a house of peace. And here's what happens when Paul gets out of prison. Here's how the, the chapter ends in verse 40. It says, After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. You remember Lydia? Where they met with the brothers and sisters, i.e., the church, and encouraged them. Then they left. Do you see what's happening? I can point to case after case after case all through the narrative of the early church that the church met in homes. In fact, it's hundreds of years later before the church ever meets in their own building. And then at that point, the influence of the church actually begins to wane. 
It's the extension of the model Jesus taught, and over and over and over, town after town after town. If you read the letters that Paul writes to all these churches, and you get, get to the end, you know what they all say. Some of you know this. Greet the such and such church that meets in so-and-so's house. Greet the such and such church that meets in so-and-so's house, over and over and over. That the church meets in homes. Not only is this an effective model in, the, in Scripture, but it's the way the gospel spreads the fastest in the world today, is meeting in homes. You know, for a, for a long time, the fastest growing church was in China. may still be, although there's some folks that think that it's, it's a different place in the world. But the way that it grew was, a, was people would share the gospel with someone, they would receive it, and then the question would go, can, if, can we meet in your house? And who else would want to hear this message? They would bring a whole bunch of people to the house, share the gospel. The whole household comes to Christ. And the church is born in a home. Over and over and over, it's reproduced. So coming back to the meeting that we had with the staff. Someone shared this great idea that we should move the church into homes. It was this novel thing that nobody ever heard of before. And the idea took off, and before we were done, it was the lone idea that everyone was excited about. And as I shared it with the leadership team a few days later, the response was the same. Now, before I get too far in, let me address two big concerns. I'm sure these are, are at the forefront of, of your minds. First of all, nobody's going to force uh, you into somebody else's home. As we move towards church meeting in homes, which is what we're going to do while we're um, sorting out the rest of this COVID stuff, as we move toward church meeting in homes, nobody's going to force you to go to a home if you don't want to. This, this, I mean, half of you are watching it online anyway. Like, this will still be available for those who want to say, I'm not going to anybody else's house. I'm only comfortable being with me, myself, and I, and maybe my immediate family. It will still be available. You can just watch from home. And in fact, we're actually going to create like a virtual home through the Zoom platform where you can interact with other people who also don't want to get around people. So you're not going to be forced into a home. The second thing is that nobody's going to be forced to host people in their home. We're not just going to call you out and say, hey, 30 people are coming to your house. It's not going to happen. Uh, because of the nature of the pande pandemic and the differing levels of comfort that people have, we're going to leave it up to each host to personally invite those they're comfortable with. You all know the ones that you're like, hey, they take as much care as I do. I'm okay with having them at my house. And maybe, maybe for you, it's, it's like I'm comfortable with having these eight or ten people in my house. Maybe it's like I'm comfortable only having my immediate family. Maybe it's like I'm only comfortable having the neighbor next door. Whatever it is, we're going to leave those who are hosting, uh, leave it up to them. So just to, just to bring your fear level down, we're not going to publicly announce your address <laughs> and tell everybody, hey, Vineyard's meeting at your house and your house. We're not going to post it out there so that everybody can just show up because we do want to be respectful for, for how uh, everybody feels dealing with the pandemic. So here's how it's going to work. We're going to encourage you to consider participating in church with whomever you're comfortable with. So, you know, if it's just one other family, 
we want to encourage you to do that. If it's for other families, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, if you're cool having, you know, I know some people are cool with whoever wants to come, they can come to my house. Uh, that's, that's cool too. And at 1030, what will happen is this video feed will begin and it will just be the people in your home together watching the video feed. It'll be the same thing that we always do. It'll start out with a welcome and announcement and psalm and a message, a communion offering, and then the worship get, uh, set. So, uh, but here's the cool thing. If you have somebody in your home who is a worship leader, you have somebody who can play guitar, who can play keyboard, can play piano, when we get to that portion, those houses can just cut the video off and do live worship at their house, uh, and, and you can do it however you like in that regard. If you host people in your home, you can feel free to be fairly creative with this. You can create a brunch each week and say, hey, you know, 9.30, we're going to have brunch, and at 10.30, we'll kick the video feed on, and we'll have a good time. Uh, or maybe you're like, you know, don't show up to my house that early. <laughs> show up at, you know, 10.20, and the thing will start at 10.30, but then we'll have lunch afterwards. You know, whatever you want to do, you can be as creative. Maybe you're just like, show up at 10.28, and you need to leave two minutes after it's over. That would that, be your choice. <laughs> So, so what about safety? So we are in a pandemic after all. We're going to let each host set the ground rules. So, you know, maybe you and your friends are comfortable sitting around your house. You hang out all the time. No masks, no whatever. That's up to you. Uh, somebody, <laughs> you're making me laugh now. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you're like, hey, I'm only comfortable if everybody's wearing a mask. We all sit six feet apart, and I want everybody to get their temperature taken before they walk in a door. That's cool, too. We can help you with that. Uh, whatever it takes, if you're willing to host and there's a resource you need, let us know. Uh, we want to help you. And here's the deal. Here's the real power in what it is that we're doing. Some of you are comfortable gathering with people who will never show up to this gathering. Just not cool with it. I'm never going to show up. It's too weird. I'm out of place. I don't really feel comfortable. But they're comfortable coming to your house, eating a muffin, drinking some coffee, and watching a video. The beauty of church in homes is that evangelism becomes way more natural. You know, one of the challenges of, of this COVID thing is, and I've been struggling with this since March, is how do you do evangelism when you can't get together with people? When you can't go meet new people, when you, the gathering places that you would normally go meet new people, how do you do evangelism whenever you've got that going on? And here's the way this works. You know people who don't know Jesus, who you would be comfortable having at your house. Maybe, maybe you don't. But you invite those people to your house. Maybe your family is a family who does not know Jesus, and they're not going to come on Sunday morning to a big gathering, but they'll come to your house. The genius in what Jesus uh, taught was that it was all relational. It was all relational. I don't actually need it. You can keep it if you want. Actually, I do need it. That's the last page. Thank you. But the genius of what Jesus was teaching is that 
when they come to your home, there's a relationship that you're working from. That it's not just walking the streets and trying to convert people. It's actually like, hey, let's collectively walk this kingdom life out. There's a real genius in it for evangelism. Another thing that's, that's brilliant about uh, doing church in homes is that one of the things we value in this church a whole lot is authenticity. And I'm sure you know you can show up for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning to a building or a gathering like this, and you can put on a fake face and pretend that everything is okay and then go home. But when people come to your house, they kind of get to see the real you, right? Like, you can only put on that show for a little while, right? Like, I mean, we, when we lived in Ohio, we used to put on this show. You, tell me if you know this one. People are coming over. Let's stuff all the stuff in that one bedroom and keep the door closed. You guys know that one, right? Right? Or, or it's, it starts out as a closet, right? You have really, really high hopes that it's not going to, like, get any bigger than a closet. It starts out as a closet, and the closet's full. It's like, well, put it now this time in that, in that bedroom, and we'll clean it up later. And a week goes by, and you just put the rest of the stuff in there. And after a while, you have a room full of just stuff, and that door never gets opened because you don't want anybody to know who you really are. You can only put that game on for so long before people realize oh, you're normal just like me. I have a room just like that, right? So when you're in people's houses, the the ability to be authentic, I think, goes up. When you sit and have, you know, coffee with somebody and you're at their house, that's a little bit more of a I get to know you kind of space. So there's authenticity. The other thing that happens in homes, the other genius that happens in homes is when we do a gathering like this, there's really only a few of us that actually get to play, right? And one of the things, the one of the strategies that we have here is that not only does everybody get to play, but everybody has to play. Like if we're going to actually see the kingdom come the way that we believe that God intends, that everybody has to play. And when you move all of these things into homes, guess what? Everybody gets to pray. Everybody gets a chance to, to serve. Everybody gets a chance to share a word. Everybody gets a chance to maybe you get the chance to play a, a djembe that, that, you know, is at the house or whatever. Everybody gets a chance to do something because we've multiplied how many gatherings exist. So as I wrap this up, actually before I wrap this up, there's one big outstanding question. When are we going to do this? Right? Nobody thought, everybody's like, oh yeah, okay, it's next week, maybe, I don't know. So the, the target date for this is September the 20th. So we have five more gatherings like this outdoors before we move into homes. Okay? September the 20th, we have five more gatherings, which means we're, as a staff, we're all hands on deck to move to a network of churches and homes in five weeks. And I think we can do it. And I think everybody here has a part to play. So before I finish this, I have a survey that I want, and I'm not going to do it just yet, but I want to sort of tell you uh, a, a little bit of a story. The, um, if you were to say, you know, what's the, the greatest threat to, to, like, peace in the Middle East, 
I think most people would say, well, it's like Islam is the greatest threat to, to peace in the Middle East. And, um, you know, one of the countries that is, is like a threat to like the nation of Israel, you guys know that stuff, is, is Iran. And uh, one of the coolest things is happening. I said before that the church in China for a long time was the fastest growing church. But what is a- the, the nation that is actually beginning to overtake it is the nation of Iran. And the way they've been doing this is that they've been moving into churches in homes. And the coolest part about the nation, uh, the church in the nation of Iran, is that it's led by women. It's led by women who are willing to go share their story and the story of the gospel with people, regardless of the cost, to see a nation come to know Jesus. And it's the fastest growing church in the world. You won't find buildings. I think I saw there's less than 20 church buildings in all of Iran, and yet it's the fastest growing church because they're meeting in homes. I think that's what can happen here. I think as we move into homes, the chance that people would hear the gospel who otherwise wouldn't goes significantly higher. If nothing else, right, we're going to like restrict the the exposure that we have to to wider covid call this a a church covid party you know what i mean there's a we're going to restrict the access that covid has by by spreading everybody out but i think there's a chance for the church in altoona to spread do you see that possibility